0: Hello, good people. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey. Hope you're all staying safe and inside, and if not, then doing the best you can to help people out. And that all being said, we're doing the best we can to help people out by going over some fun memories of old Devils games. And like we mentioned last time, today's game is uh, not a playoff game on the docket. It's not so much a franchise mark as it is an individual one that we're going to discuss today. And, you know, as the course of the game... I mean, over the course of the game, you couldn't really tell that it was going to be that kind of night, but somewhere around, I would say, you know, the middle of it, towards the end of the second period, this is the point where you start thinking, okay, this is where it could happen, I could be witnessing history. And of course, I'm talking about Martin Brodeur's record-setting 104th NHL regular season shutout. And that game happened against the Pittsburgh Penguins on December 21st, 2009. So for some backstory leading into this game, including Brodeur's last game from which he was pulled, we've got John Fisher to fill you guys in.
1: Right. So let me, Dan, before I get into it, I'm going to read out the Devils lineup mm-hmm. for the, ahead of this game. So your forwards for your first line was Zach Parisi. Dean McAmett at center and Patrick Elias. Your second line was Brian Ralston, Travis zajac and Captain Jamie Langenbrunner. Your third line was Jay Pandolfo, Rob Niedemeyer, and Nicholas Bergfors. And you had a fourth line of Ilka Pekarinen, Rod Pelly, and Vladimir Zharkov. Your defense, as Paul Martin was injured with a broken forearm, had a first pairing of Andy Green and Bryce Salvador. Your second pairing was Colin White and Mike Motto. And your third pairing was Mark Fraser and Johnny Oduya. And starting in the game was, of course, Martin Amberdor. Mm-hmm. Dan, based on that lineup in 2009, what do you uh, roughly ballpark it for me about how many wins do you think the Devils had going into this game?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is an unfair question to ask me, given I already know what the amount is. Um, okay. But I would attribute that to one name that isn't listed on the lineup sheet necessarily and is just standing behind the bench, Jacques Lemaire.
1: That is correct. The Devils, believe it or not, with that roster, even if you don't think that roster sounds all that great on paper, the Devils went into this game with a record of 25-8-1 to lead what was then the Atlantic Division. And they were just ahead of the Pittsburgh Penguins, who were 25-10-1 going into this game. (laughs) The Devils went into this game with a four-game winning streak. um, Penguins had a five- That's right. Penguins had five straight wins, so this is this is a game between two hot and two of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, and the the, the Penguins came into this game uh, with a shootout win over the Buffalo Sabers. Uh, Chris Letang uh, sealed it in the shootout for them, so and Mark Andre Fleury had a big game, so they won that one two one. As the Devils, they hosted um, the Atlanta Thrashers. The Devils went down three one. Then they went up 4-3 in the second period. Chico Resch read the riot act about the lack of defending by the uh, Thrashers, and the Devils won 5-4. Um, it was a rare win for Jan Dani yep. back backup goaltender, uh, as bordor was pulled. But the Devils got the W, and so they went into this game. And on top of that, Dan, the Devils have beaten Pittsburgh twice earlier this season and by very decisive scores like it was they weren't close games i think both games were 4-1
0: yeah they were up to that point um they had beaten pittsburgh i think it was uh twice at home or once at home already because this game that we're about to talk about represented the uh, the road season sweep of the penguins for the devils
1: yes and there's one other streak to mention Mm -hmm. uh zach parise who by the way the season prior was he didn't come In the top three, obviously, but he finished, I believe, fifth in Hart Trophy scoring. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, not scoring, Hart Trophy for the MVP. However, Parise was struggling to score. He went into this game with a 10-game goalless streak. Mm -hmm. However, Parise would demonstrate that if you're not scoring goals, there are many other ways you can – Many other ways you can contribute. And, oh, did he contribute in this game. Yes. We will get to that in a moment.
0: This is one of those games that, you know, we've we've talked in the past about how sometimes not necessarily the stars are showing up. And this is a game where the stars legit all showed up. Every single person on that team that was marketable in some way uh, made an impact. And even some, I mean, hand up, I honestly forgot Dean McCammond was even a devil. And that's a shame on me because this game Mm -hmm. to watch him play in was ridiculous just looking at the yeah. possession numbers for the devils forwards overall you know there's there's some modestly positive ones there's some modestly negative ones and then there's that first line which just completely caved in pittsburgh it was not oh, yeah. even close when Eliash, mccammon and parisi were on the ice this game was a complete runaway for the devils and let's get into what mm-hmm. exactly that looked like
1: all right So we open up the game, of course, not with that first line. We open up with the Rob Niedemeyer line, the third line, because Jacques Lemaire still believed in checking lines and back in 2019 still had checking lines. Mm. Uh, On the opposite end, Pittsburgh was sort of setting the blueprint for uh, what teams would strive for today, where you would have, quote unquote, three scoring lines since they had Sidney Crosby centering one line, Malkin centering a second line, and Jordan Stahl centering a third line. And all those three lines did have an offensive threat. And, of course, because it's uh, Pittsburgh, you know, if things go awry, you could always mix up those lines and stick two of those three aforementioned centers on the same line. They did not do that in this game, though. Mm -hmm. It it is important to know. But not at the beginning. Not at the beginning. But they didn't do it in this game. Um, Niedemeyer won the opening faceoff. And then, you know, Crosby gets the first scoring chance of the game by uh, going one-on-one against Mark Frazier. This may surprise you, but Sidney Crosby won that battle, for, and Brodor forced his first shot against wide. Very nice. <laughs> and, and then uh, that's
0: that's the kind of thing. Like at least early on in the game, Pittsburgh had you know they were trying to get shots on Brodor, but they were already starting to get frustrated through the middle of the ice. And really, there was nothing too scary about what they put on him in the first, what like three, two three minutes something like that.
1: No, but what was scary was that uh, the Devils did get some offensive pressure for the first time of the uh, of the game. Parise wins a puck uh, from Ruslan Fedotenko. He throws it up to Green. Green throws it to McGammon, McCammon makes it across to Bryce Salvador. And in a totally not a preview of what would happen in 2012, uh, <laughs> Salvador just gripped it, ripped it, and put it far post, perfectly off the post, past Marc-Andre Fleury for the Devils' first shot of the game and the first goal of the game.
0: Yeah, I and, wouldn't, you know, just looking back at that shot, it it wasn't necessarily like a, you know, twine-burning slap shot or anything. It was just kind of a no. floater that found the exact upper 90, as you and I would say.
1: Exactly, and flurry was screened both by... Um... He was, screened, he was screened by a Devil and uh, Sergey Gonchar, and I know this because Bob Airy, who, by the way, who we saw play in the Devil's win over the Detroit Red Wings mm-hmm. in the 95 series, he was the color commentator, and he just gave out about Sergey Gonchar, saying, oh, he was in the lane. He needed not to be in the lane. <laughs> it's like Fleur, Fleury was screened, and he looked to his right, and the shot was going to his left. like. I don't know what what else you want to do. And then the announcers make one important point. The Devils were 18-3-1 in their last 22 games <laughs> when they scored first, and uh, yeah, <laughs> you got to start to see why.
0: And not only that, they had – I mean I don't remember what the record was after uh, – when they were leading after the first, but if they were leading after the second, the Devils were 17-0. and Imagine having those kinds of numbers about our beloved Devils in this day and age, but – Well, they'd be a playoff team. (laughs) Well, exactly. But that being said, um, paramount for Pittsburgh to get back into this game. You know, no one wanted to let up a goal to these devils. They had found ways to just choke teams out. And again, it was done with that Lemaire style. Really, really frustrating, especially on the road. For some reason, this team was much, much better on the road to start the season than they were at home. They were 12-2-1 on the road going into this game.
1: Yep, they were the best road team in the league.
0: And like... By a wide – not by a wide margin. They didn't have the most points gained on the road, but they had played, what, 15 games and gained 25 road points or something like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, they were up there. I think Pittsburgh – Pittsburgh was right along with them, but Pittsburgh played more games on the road than the Devils. So their point percentage – the Devils' point percentage was superior. Mm -hmm. And they noted that the Devils actually had a better better road record than they had a home record, which – you know, the broadcasters tried to turn into a thing, but I think it was just more of a case of coincidence because we're still – this this happened in December. We're still in the first half of the season. Like, we're not even – you know, that's that's something you can start claiming like February or March when you're like 50, 60 games in, not yeah. so much when you're at game 35. Uh, like, I means... don't,
0: I, like, I don't think it had anything to do with what they were saying in terms of taking the crowd out of the game. Like, I think that was standard fare for the Devils in general, but I think maybe – a possibility was that coaches at home were trying to outthink Lemaire.
1: <laughs> exactly. And there was a failure. And and, it, and the other thing is not only were the Devils set up appropriately, but the Devils also worked very well in their own end of the rink because Pittsburgh in the first period, especially, they kept trying to set start a cycle going on the lefts corner and it worked kind of okay. But at, you know, all the wingers, no matter whether it was Brian Ralston, whether it was Patrick Elias, whether it was, um, jay pandolfo they would come and support the center and the defensemen on that side of the ice as needed and whether and, and the centers in particular you know mcgammond uh nita meyer and zajac were very good about filling in the lanes and the defensemen all played with their heads on a swivel they didn't do a lot of puck watching which which is unfortunately what we saw out of this season's team um yeah <laughs> so there was a lot more awareness a lot more effectiveness to just get in the way of Pittsburgh's passes, get in the way of their shots. It wasn't like the team was selling out for blocks and just, you know, trying to survive things. They were in a position to not only get the stop but turn it up ice for a counterattack or get a clearance and, you know, start the play going the other way. It was effective defending. Yeah. And it was so refreshing to watch after, you know, thinking about this past season's team which did not do any of that.
0: Right. And this team was, you know, me- this was mentioned on the broadcast too in context of uh, penalty killing but this team did not have a lot of names on defense You went through the lineup and the most significant name probably league wide up until that point was nursing an injury
1: yeah he had a broken forearm from the pittsburgh game
0: yes. Martin. so they had you know a bunch of players that kind of just came together in a really really effective way i don't know i'm trying to basically say that they were greater than the sum of their parts for sure but also they didn't I think they were underrated in terms of how solid each player was, rather than seeing that mm-hmm. there were no names and saying, "Okay, we can dismiss this."
1: Yeah, like Johnny Oduya is a perfect example of this. Mm-hmm. He was very good at, you know, you know, he get he had the cred and the reputation of a guy who fell down a lot because his balance wasn't always the greatest. Yeah, but he was actually really solid in terms of where he needed to be on the ice if. In a rare case, the offense needed him to pinch in. He could do that, and he was quick enough to get back. Uduya was a solid player. Mike Amato was a player who was a nobody up until he joined the Devils. Larry Robinson, I I want to say, coached him up, like, brilliantly, and he became the definition of a solid hand. And you still had enough in the tank for Colin White. Andy Green was still young. Salvador was still young. So, yeah, you're right. This was a, this was a crew that, yeah, the sum was greater than the sum of its parts, but the parts weren't a bunch of jabronis either.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that was important to note, and I think that's why a lot of people generally underestimated this team specifically. I mean, this season ended in a five-game loss to the Philadelphia Flyers, who were a seven seed, which was a tough look, but also that Flyers team went to the cup final, so maybe they just and the, you know caught them the, at a
1: hot time. And the Devils— struggled against only one team among all the playoff teams in the east and that was the philadelphia flyers so sometimes
0: it happens that way but you know leading up to it the season where the devils are competing for first place by december i don't know there's a lot of weird contributions happening not just the defense let's talk about dean mccammon for a bit because in this first period he was absolutely everywhere and really the whole game he was very present in every rush, and of course, Eliash and Parisi look like they had eyes in the back of their head for each other. But McCammond, oh, yeah. as I learned during the broadcast, was a Blackhawk in 1992 when they lost to the Penguins in the Cup Final. Which gives you an idea of how long he had been um, floating around in the league as well.
1: Yeah, he was. he's very... He's the definition of a veteran presence, a journeyman if you will. They the broadcast briefly mentioned Mike Sillinger. Yep. Um, I guess another example would be more contemporary, Lee Stempniak. Yep. Uh, basically the a guy who is he's a good guy. He you know, he definitely did well. I from my recollection of that season and what I was writing on the blog back then, you know, McCamid wasn't a long-term answer at center yeah. between Elias and Parise. but at that time it was working beautifully. It worked very well in the Atlantic game that prior to this one and in this game you know he just worked really well he just messed really well with a young in his prime Zach Parise and an Eliash that was still you know kicking butt and taking names all over the ice and as you said the Penguins had no answer for this line yeah just swarmed and swarmed and swarmed and um you know just just to get back into the game a little bit uh Salva, you know, the Devils were a very well disciplined team, but the Devils did take the first penalty of the game when mm. Salvador just straight up hauled down Kennedy in the slots. Kennedy was about to have like the the second legitimate scoring chance of this game. And uh, you know, Salvador just took out his skate. Yeah. And then we got our first mention by the broadcast of the one hundred and fourth shutout bid. Uh, it's it's
0: so obvious what you know, I, I'm I'm not someone who thinks that yeah. jinxing a shutout is directly going to make it not happen. Or talking about it on the broadcast, sure, do it. But these guys went in on it. They kept talking and talking and talking about, it, and it was obvious well, that, is... that they were trying to jinx
1: it. <laughs> now, keep in mind for everybody who didn't watch the watch the uh, game that we watched, even though Dan graciously posted it for all of you. <laughs> uh, this was the Pittsburgh broadcast, so <laughs> they they have every you know incentive to jinx and be superstitious and call it out. I don't believe in these types of superstitions, you know, and this game is an example of why not. Cause I did do a running tally of the number of times they talked about the shutout, uh-huh. uh, whether it was saw record or, or trying to break saw record and yada, yada, yada. And this was the first one. Um, I'll tell you what the final tally is when we get towards the end of this game when we talk uh, of that we're talking about. But the Devils put up a very solid kill. Rob Niedemeyer and Jay Pandolfo were your top forward penalty kills. John Madden is now a Blackhawk at this time. So he's no longer a devil. Um, but they played a diamond formation and it – you know they just took Crosby and Malkin a lot out of the picture on the power play, which is an impressive thing to do considering it's Sidney Crosby and Jenny Malkin in 2009. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Pascal Dupuis, after the penalty, had a very strong shot from the high slot. Berdor stopped it. And then we had Eliash make a super amazing pass to McAmmond, but somebody defended the puck away from McAmmond. And then we get a little bit later, Alex Golagowski coughs up the puck to McAmmond. And then, you know, Golagowski's like, I'm just going to take down McAmmond.
0: Yeah. And that was towards the very end of the period because some yes. of that carryover time went into that second period. So the Devils only had 17 seconds of power play time. Uh, in the first as a whole, but as the second period starts, they take advantage almost immediately as 23 mm-hmm. seconds in, offensive dynamo Nicholas Bergforce scores his 12th goal of the season up until that point, and his third goal in three games against the Penguins.
1: That's right. The whole play, you know, the Devils had a cycle back. Green carried the puck up towards the blue line, passed it off to Parise for the entry. Entry did a drop pass to Bergforce. And the broadcasters mentioned this. They they were a little surprised that Bergforce decided, I'm going to take a shot from behind the dot. Now, he wasn't at the half wall, so it wasn't the worst shot ever like Riche scoring on uh, Mike Vernon. But uh, Bergforce took the shot. There was a bit of a screen by, I want to say, Orpic, And it went far post and Flurry just looked completely baffled. 2 nothing. Not yeah, even a minute and minute into the second period,
0: it was lucky for him that Berg, for, lucky for the announcers that Bergforce scored and not Eliash, because Bob Barry really had no idea how to say Eliash's name.
1: Yeah, that's, <laughs> no that's idea how common to say it across that. the league. I don't know. I don't know why. It's like somebody going, ah, "I don't know how to say Gretzky, so I'm going to call him Gorotsky." Like, <laughs> come on, man, learn the guy's name.
0: Yeah, I mean Eliash and McCammon too. McC- he was McAdam for a lot of the game.
1: Eh. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're not big fans of John Steigerwald and uh, Bob Airy on the on the call here. <laughs> yeah. I, I miss Doc and Chico and Steve and Chico and Steve and Dano and Steve and even Shep Messing. Well,
0: uh, so my impression of them as well, this is a bit of a diversion, but you know, as anyone who's watched hockey at some point, you've watched the highlights of the Pittsburgh Islanders brawl game, and you've seen them talk about, you know, the hits that the Islanders are doing late, the, whatever's going on, and it's just so I mean, I've heard every every team of broadcasters is biased towards their team in some way. That's you know yeah, how they the get job. paid. It's part of the job, whatever. But I think, with the exception of maybe the Boston Bruins, this team might be the most biased
1: because Boston telling, is brutal. I just kept telling to my just kept telling myself. I know how this ends. It doesn't matter what they say. (laughs) I know how this ends. It doesn't matter what they say. (laughs) So after this power play goal, just as another example of Pittsburgh's frustration, and mind you, Pittsburgh, again, won five games in a row, and were only behind the New Jersey Devils in the standings in the East at the time. Mm -hmm. Crosby just smacked the stick out of Rob Niedemeyer's hands after the (laughs) faceoff. Takes an interference penalty which would have been great until Vladimir Zharkov uh, went off for a pick on Goligoski, and yeah, so basically just grabbed him. So he
0: was pretty low impact this game, I would say, and low impact uh, career wise in the NHL in general, but he does even out the odds in terms of four on four. And then Pittsburgh gets a little bit of power play time as well.
1: Yep. And then um, Salvador had a bad turnover after that, pa- that abbreviated uh, power penalty kill. Uh, Malkin, Of course, picks up that puck and fires a hard shot. Bredor stops it. So, you know, there's your second or maybe third big save by Mr. Berdor that night. And then we get another mention of the shutout.
0: (laughs) That's exactly what I put in my notes, by the way. I I also, I didn't count all the times that they talk about it, but I definitely counted all the times they wax poetic about it. Um, Oh, yeah. And this was one of those times where I just put, love the Penguins team, mentioning the shutout over and over to jinx it, but... You know, right after that, uh, a few minutes later, I'd say the Devils get penalized for too many men.
1: And they actually nearly concede a goal on the, in the process because the Devils were stuck in a long-delayed situation. It was probably Pittsburgh's best attack of the entire game, I would say, mm-hmm. where with six on five. They just, you know, owned the puck. The Devils couldn't get a touch on it. Uh, Rob Niedemeyer did the best he could, but, you know, he's just one man. Uh, Matt Cook, the infamous Matt Cook uh, took a shot in the slot. Big pad save. Ari immediately goes, oh, that could have been going in the net. And and then the replay shows that it was nowhere near going <laughs> in the net because Bob Ari's <laughs> not a very good color commentator. But nonetheless, we got our touch. It's a too many men on the ice call. And Zharkov goes to the box to serve that penalty. And then uh, a couple I, – I don't know if it was after the kill or just before the kill ended. We get um, an injury break. Yes. Uh, Colin White was trying to clear the puck out of the corner. And Jordan Stahl leaned forward, and the puck he was, White was trying to clear went directly at Stahl's nose.
0: Yeah, Ouch. and this is one of those things, you know, when you see it, you're, like, just immediately cringing, because there's a lot of possibilities for what can go wrong when a puck hits someone in the face. But stall standing straight up. I mean, there's blood pouring from his nose, so he's obviously, you know, cut or something's broken in there. So he would eventually come back with the full collegiate cage, um, mm-hmm. but he... You know, he was off the ice for a significant amount of time and he wasn't yeah, on no, for the Penguins. I
1: mean, yeah, part of what made the Penguins so dominant of a team last decade was because they had those three young stud centers in Crosby, Malkin, and Stahl. So take away Stahl, and all of a sudden Mike Rupp has to take more minutes. And even though the commentators are trying to big him up, you know, trying to, you know, Pump his tires, so to speak. That tire was not inflating. Mike Rupp was not your answer. Yeah,
0: I mean, like, you know we sure. love Mike Rupp get... on this podcast, given our uh our history of games that we've covered so far, but that all being said, yes, he's no Jordan Stahl, he's he's not going to help you in terms of the actual playing hockey part of the game. And that's another thing that they mentioned um at this in this broadcast as well, where the Penguins are looking to get some sort of energy, but there was no one really that was willing to fight mike Rupp, and
1: i think that was by design of course and and of course the devils are already up to nothing so i mean they have nothing to gain by doing any of that nonsense and i guess more to the point is that you know the penguins were just not winning a lot of these battles it was the the real turning point of the game came shortly after the devil's third goal which actually happened um about a a little bit over a minute after stall went off the ice for his broken nose Mm -hmm. um the devil's Again, it's the McGammon line, Elias, McGammon, Parise. Johnny Oduya joins the rush. He had a great opportunity to shoot and decided to try to pass it across to Elias for the tip-in. Didn't work, but the Devils regained control. Marie Parise turned from behind the net to take a shot. McGammon got the rebound and hit the post. The puck rebounds off the post perfectly past four Penguins jerseys. (laughs) Right to Patrick Elias, who just stepped up in the slot and roofed that rebound to make it 3-0. And you can even see it at natural stat tricks uh, game flow is that right where that third dot is where Eliash <laughs> scored, the line started going heavily in the devil's direction.
0: <laughs> yeah. And but, that, you know, that moment where the puck bounced pretty fortuitously, I think that was like karmic retribution for the fact that Parisi basically had to. Take a falling shot through three penguins to get the first one off, and once oh, McCammon yeah. hits the post, you're like, oh come on, but justice is served as Eliash does get the puck in the slot and shoots a top corner, like you said. Three-nothing New Jersey Devils, and it wouldn't take them long to add a fourth.
1: No. I mean shortly thereafter, mccammon gets a one-on-one with uh Marc-Andre Fleury. He puts the puck wide, I side. But the Devils regained the puck, and of course, that line started controlling the zone. And then we have Parise diving for a shot from behind the net. McCammon misses the rebound. Um, like, he just straight up missed. Like, he just whiffed. Mm-hmm. But Mark Frazier, Mark Frazier, he of one goal going into this game, who scored against the Penguins, by the way, mm-hmm. stepped up. He pinched in. This this Lemare coach team pinches their defenseman, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Frazier stepped into it and fired a beautiful shot through the traffic. Off Marc-Andre Fleury and in. 4 nothing, New Jersey Devils. Brent Johnson is coming in for Marc-Andre. You hate to see it, Dan. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, you know, this is one of those things where the Penguins announcers, of course, were talking about how Brodora was pulled in his last game the Devils still won. Wouldn't that be something? So on and so forth. Of course, we know that was not to be, but Brent Johnson also didn't give up anything um, the rest of the way. It was, it was just no. Marc-Andre Fleury. Johnson was solid, but the Devils, you know, they... They had their chances after that, he just was a little sharper that night than Fleury. And,
1: oh, absolutely.
0: And that all being said, uh, the Devils now lead 4 nothing, and they also take over the shot lead with eight minutes left in the second period, as yes. Jamie Langerbunner also shoots one off the goalpost, and him From and Zajac
1: had a few close ones. Exactly. The Devils never really stopped in that second period. From a from a statistical standpoint, the Devils out attempted the Penguins 21 to 10 in five on five hockey and outshot them 11 to six (laughs) in terms of high danger chances, which include misses, by the way. um, It was five to nothing like (laughs) the Devils were just dominating that second period. There was a bit of a late surge by the Penguins. Cause at four nothing, it's like, come on guys, we got to get something going. And of course we get our third and fourth mentions of the shutout by the uh, <laughs> aforementioned broadcasters. But, um, <sighs> you know, there was one, one time where they nearly beat Brodeur where it looked like Kunitz was tied up with Brodeur and Bergforce just kind of cleared the puck that was behind him. I didn't think the penguins were going to really score on that play, nor they should have counted it, but whatever. But, uh, yeah, the devils were just in control. And again, the frustration boiled over, uh, and we got to see it in the form of Maxim Talbot, who, did, who played in this game, Dan.
0: Yeah, believe it or not, his name was actually mentioned. Um, and there you go. So there's some scuffling going on in the corner. And, of course, the Devils leading for nothing are not really interested in too much of this. But there's only so much you can take before you get angry. So there's uh, an exchanging of words and of fists as Eliash and Talbot get matching roughing minors. Um And then Dean McCammon and Talbot get misconducts, but I think because the misconducts canceled out, they gave the extra two to Eliash. I I was looking at the summary, and Pittsburgh got a power play out of that. I'm just not really sure the logistics of it.
1: Yeah, I looked at the box score, too, at Hockey Reference and in my own notes, um, and I really should go back to my recap here, but I was too busy gushing about how well the Devils were playing, I guess, to note that. The Devils had to kill a penalty. And they did it, you hmm. know, job done. You know, the diamond penalty kill was working. Uh, Pandolfo and Niedemeyer were playing excellently. Just at the end of the uh, period, Elias gets a pass out of the box. He's, his stick breaks on a shooting attempt. Again, there's like two seconds left, so he wasn't going to skate in and go one-on-one with Johnson. And then we got our fifth mention of the, of the shutout. Devils end the second period. They scored three goals. The... Eliash Mcammon, Parise Line was great. The defensemen were working hard. Niedermeyer was being a lunch pail player. Bergfors was looking good, and of course, Berdor was uh, perfect. It was excellent. Yeah, it was wonderful hockey. <laughs> and uh, Stahl came back to start the third period with the aforementioned uh, face shield, and then Salvador decided I need to hook Malkin. And even and this was interesting. The broadcasters called out Malkin for selling it. <laughs> Yeah, and
0: I, I'm surprised about that one for sure. But I think it was so obvious that he spun himself around a little bit to embellish that um that hook, I guess, by Salvador or whatever he did to turn him around. It looked like a hook. It was a hook, yeah. Um, it was a hook. And I'm surprised they mentioned it, but again, Pittsburgh gets a penalty, uh, gets a power play out of it.
1: Yep. Now, to be fair, if they wanted to call it power play, they really should have called it during that penalty kill because Zajac just straight up slashed the stick out of Matt Cook's hand, but. If I recall correctly, Matt Cook's reputation back in 2009 was still or was toxic enough to referees that they probably just figured, no, we're not going to give you that call. Forget it. Mm-hmm. So it was like, OK, fine. But uh, the Devils were just killing it, killing it, killing it. And, um, you know, Pittsburgh tried to get some offense going. They just weren't. And then, of course, the aforementioned Malkin decides I need to hook somebody. The broadcasters eventually get to mentioning it. Yeah. So I couldn't tell you who he hooked necessarily, but they did. And um, the Devils' power play was a little more 2019-2020-esque as they gave up a two-on-one shorthanded rush to stall, <laughs> but uh, Green broke up the pass. So hey, no big deal. We get our sixth mention of the shutout <laughs> attempt, and the Devils are just the Devils are just kind of cruising at this point. They're not. It's not that they're not attacking or not trying to score, but. They're not they don't have to do their best. They, no. they know full well that they're in control of this game and that's really how the third period really went along. Yeah, it was just kind of
0: I, I think the emphasis, you know, the energy was sapped from the building when Pittsburgh didn't score I mean, first of all, when the Devils scored their third goal, as you mentioned, but I think it also had a lot to do with when Pittsburgh didn't score on the early power play, where they were kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, we're looking ahead to the next game, and the Devils were a little bit in cruise control until the very end of the game. But I think the focus, you know, in between those two periods, I'm not sure if anyone in the locker room mentioned it, but I think there was some sense of let's preserve the shutout for Marty. Yeah. Um, you know, at the very least, like, let's w- we got this game wrapped up. We're doing well. Let's make sure we make it the best it could possibly be
1: yeah i mean they were you know la was still decided to bring back the fourth line for a shift or two so we got another ilka picarain sighting. <laughs>
0: uh
1: we got another rod Pelle sighting another zharkov sighting uh, you know in the third period because the devils were in control but at the same time you saw that all the devils were still filling in lanes getting in the way of passes like you know attempts like passes that would have leaded led to really good shooting attempts for the Penguins just were not happening. The Devils were just getting in the way of them, and they were counterattacking smartly. They weren't just rushing guys forward. If there was a criticism I would have, it's that when the Devils did do their counterattack three-on-twos or two-on-ones, they didn't really do it correctly. They just kind of wasted them. But again, you're already up four-nothing. So – it's not that big of a deal at the time. Right. And um, more, more importantly, that they didn't get caught like with three guys in their own end and give up their own odd man rush often after when they went on their own. So, you know, credit to the devil's discipline in that respect. That's a hallmark of the Lemare teams. Mm-hmm. Pandolfo, we got another – we got a couple more mentions of the shutout. Pandolfo tried to break away. I have to say tried to because he couldn't – he wasn't fast enough. He was <laughs> at the end of his shift. He got he got caught up real bad. and uh, But Johnson – Um, Johnson stopped and Bergforce sprung him for that pass. And Bergforce, I tell you what, he was one of the best skaters in this game, even though uh, the EMP line, so to speak, had the best possession. You know, they were the best line, but Bergforce had himself a very solid game. Yeah. And um, it's easy to see how he could be traded for some guy named Ilya in a couple months. (laughs) Yeah. Why an Atlanta team would want this guy, because this guy was having a pretty good season, even though the broadcasters were saying, oh, you know, hey, Lemaire doesn't think he plays defense well enough, and yeah, but, you know, the guy was still, he got 15 and a half minutes, like, Lemaire doesn't hate the guy that much. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and know? he was also he, seeing some power play time, you know, like, he exactly. he was definitely present, and more so than, he, he was much more than just being in Lemaire's doghouse for his defensive play, I mean, there was definitely players that lived there for a while, but it was, he, it was not the case with him, at least leading up until the trade, and you know, the last kind of section here that I had for this game is that in the third period, the Penguins, starting with that power play, um, they they did manage to get some opportunities through there. Brodeur was starting to have to work for a shutout. But it's really towards the end of the game when the announcers are lulling into conversations about Phil, um, Tony Esposito, right?
1: Yeah, Tony Esposito and his red hot uh, <laughs> mask and his body covering to put on the mask like i that's how you know the devils were in serious control of the game like the broadcasters are just like we're just going to talk about whatever we want at this point it's not worth mentioning that the penguins are going to try to skate the puck up ice and lose the puck in the neutral zone again (laughs) and have it have the devils dump it back in again and then we repeat that for a minute and a half
0: i mean they also did a thing where the the one highlight they could show of the game was pretty much Craig Adams just hitting Mike Motto, and then they made a really weird and off-color joke about Hobie Baker, which is...
1: Yeah. Ugh. The Devils basically broke John Stegenheiler and uh, Bob Avery. <laughs> it was Fine. it was Whatever.
0: weird. Like I, I thought it was such a weird off-color joke knowing what happened to Hobie Baker, and weird that they decided to... Go with that and laugh about it, I guess. I don't really know. I but getting just... back to
1: the hockey, thankfully. We we finally have something to mention because the broadcasters finally got back to the game. Crosby gets an opportunity in the slot and he hits the post. Yeah. And, and that post kind of woke everybody up to, oh yeah, that's right. The the penguins could break the shutout still. <laughs> it could it could happen. It possibly could happen. So of course we get mention number ten of the shutout. Then we get an eleventh one. And then Martin Scuola misses from the blue line, like, by a mile, and Malkin has an opportunity off the end board, and of course Bordeaux flashes the glove, raises it in the air. That's save number 35, and it would end up being the final save of the game. And then we just play out the strength for the last 42 seconds.
0: Yeah, the Devils hold on to it, and there's some brief flurries from pittsburgh but they stay solid in there and the puck is way out of the zone for the last couple seconds as they tick down and brodeur he knows what's happening the devils all know they immediately go over there you know before that he made a huge save and pandolfo gave him a tap on the pads they yep, all kind of knew moment. it was coming
1: yep and um you know it was as you said earlier about halfway through this game you started noticing Yep, yeah, brodeur's just controlling everything like you got the sense that you know this was going to be his night even if it wasn't going to be necessarily a shutout you knew he was going to play great because his rebound control was perfect he was playing the puck beautifully with his stick it was like effortless at times he was kicking pucks away appropriately he wasn't leaving anything juicy for the uh, penguins to feed off of he was just you know he was everywhere he needed to be there was no case where you know he was just caught out off a weird bounce off the boards or somebody made a great play in front or somebody screened him. Like he was just aware of pretty much everything that he needed to be and he played every shot just as about as well as you would expect. So this was definitely his night and it turned out to be one of his biggest nights ever in his long and illustrious career.
0: Yeah, and that brought Brodour to twenty three wins on the season leading the league. <laughs>
1: By the way, 26, 23 out of 26, just in case you forgot who, who was playing all the games at age 37. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Bredor did it. He gets his 104th. The, the Penguins fans that were still at the Melon Arena. And by the way, this is still Melon Arena. This yep. is still the igloo. They did not build the consoles. Uh, the I'm sorry, the paint can yet. Or the console energy center, which I think was its previous name, whatever. Yeah. The point is, is that this is the old arena. The fans that were remaining stood and applauded him. The fan, the, the broadcast has briefly mentioned, yeah, he's one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. The, you know, <laughs> you have to hand it to him. It was pretty much like the most muted. Cause you could tell that they were, they were, they weren't happy that you a know, little the salty, penguins, the penguins, you know, the penguins went into this, you know, five wins in a row. They already lost to the devils twice. It's home ice. You know, the devils needed a big comeback to get their winning streak, uh, stay alive. Bredor got pulled in that game and uh, you know this was a battle potentially for first in the division, you know? It, this game meant something. It's also the last game before Christmas too for both of these teams. And, so
0: And this was two straight times that someone set the shutout record playing against the Penguins as they mentioned that Terry Sawchuk got his 103rd yes. as a member of the New York Rangers playing against the Penguins.
1: Right. Way back in 1970, yep. which was probably Sawchuk's like 22nd season or something crazy it like that. only he one with forever. the Rangers. His only one, because he unfortunately died in an accident, which led to the whole thing you were talking about. Yep. Um, anyway. Well, no, no. So but, that but, was
0: Sawchuck, not Hobie Baker.
1: Okay. Well, regardless, <laughs> it was still an odd thing to laugh about. Yes. You know. Agreed. I mean, I. but anyway, just to sort of put a bow on the game, um, obviously, Bruder was obviously the best player of the game. Mm-hmm. You get your 104th shutout. And as Ari noted towards the end, yes, the, the Penguins didn't have a lot of quality in the game. There weren't a lot of, you know, oh, my goodness, you have to see the this kind of save, you know, to believe it. None of those saves really happened. But there were 35 shots on net. And in a game like hockey, you know, weird things happen. Oh, <laughs> you know, a post was hit, too. A post was hit. So, I mean, Crosby was literally, you know, two inches to the left. We're not talking about this game. It probably wouldn't be recorded by anybody except for some bizarre Penguins fan who's just re-uploading old Penguins games for some inexplicable reason. Uh, we're not talking about this. It's just, oh yeah, the Devils won 4-1, whatever. Uh, no, Bredor, you know, got his historic thing. But what I also noted, and I wrote this way back in 2009 for what was then called in Louis Trust, was that this was one of the best games the Devils have played in that season so far. Mm-hmm. That uh, despite, you know, the names on the paper, so to speak, not, no Paul Martin, you've got you know, issues, you know, potential issues here and there. D McCammon is your first line center, but the Devils played an excellent game going forward. As mentioned, the Eliash mccammon Parisi line was fantastic. Uh, Bergforce had a good game. The defense played a very hard-working effort. You know, they didn't give Pittsburgh a lot of second chances um you got goals from salvador and frazier which are always nice to see you got a power play goal the only thing you didn't get out of this game from the devils was a goal for parise but it's not like the man didn't try since he
0: had nine shots on net in this game he got three assists so that i'll take that i mean i'll take him getting three assists
1: over scoring one goal any day oh absolutely like and as i wrote he will get his goal soon enough and spoiler he did (laughs) um but that line was utterly fantastic and you know, the devils rendered Crosby and Malkin relatively anonymous. I mean, yeah, we we talked about Malkin a little bit more. He was a more active, but Crosby hit the post. Crosby took an interference penalty. Crosby had that one early chance after he torched Frazier. and that was it for Mr. Crosby, which back then in two thousand nine, you know, you call that a massive win because Crosby was killing everybody back then. Yeah.
0: For sure. Crosby and Malkin both I mean, like like we said last time, they had just come off the Stanley Cup win. This, The uh, the previous summer. So this was not a team that was to be trifled with by any means, but the Devils really had their number this season. They really, really found a way to do well against them every single time they met. And that's something that is rare for the the Devils of today. But the Devils of 2009-2010 did pretty well. This was a first place team by Christmas we're talking about. So, you know, nice to look back at that and see what was impacted in the standings they eventually finished with 103 points and of course like we said lost to Philadelphia in that first round but yeah that kind of brings us to an end to Brodeur's 104th shutout and it's weird because we didn't really you know we talked about him obviously but he wasn't like he was the focal point of the game but only after a certain point it was only after it was clear that the Devils didn't really have to do much to seal up the win
1: yeah it was to your point this was not a game where you just sit there and go, oh, my goodness, the Devils won this game because the goaltender was the first, second and third best player on the ice. He stood on his head and, you know, so on and so forth. Berdorf played very well. But, you know, you can make a case that he was, you know, I called him the player of the game just because of the history. Mm-hmm. You know, he had the shutout. And, of course, if you get a shutout as a goaltender, you should be one of the stars of the game just by default. I mean, shutouts are incredibly hard to get. Mm-hmm. Um but you could make a case that maybe Parise could have been the player of the game for the Devils with his nine shots, three assists, and constant attacking. You could make a case that Dean McAmmond or Patrick Elias could have been player yeah. of the game because of their great support. You could have made a case for a guy – if you want to go really off the board, you could make a really good case for – uh, Johnny Oduya cuz mm-hmm. he played an excellent game both from a possession standpoint uh by course he was even which is fantastic since the devils were leading by four as much as four in this game but you know he helped get offense going and he played a very solid game of defense that the rest of the devils team typified um you know you could have made a case that maybe nobody should have been player of the game it was just an excellent team performance and it was one of the best team performances of that season for a team that was really good in the regular season. Yeah. So, you know, there's this, you know, I guess that's a credit to how good the team played that night, how much better the team looked than it seemed on paper. In addition to just Bredor being the man and still being the man at age 37.
0: All right. So yeah, that'll bring us to the end of that game. And John, would you like to introduce us to what we're going to be watching Next, as this situation continues, and like I said um, a couple of podcasts ago, once there is news about the NHL draft lottery, once there's news about what some of those timelines look like, we'll go back to, you know, we'll make sure we cover um, any sort of developments on that front. But for the most part, if games aren't happening, we'll continue to be doing this.
1: Right, Dan. So we're going to go back in Devils' history even further. Now, we're not going to do the novelty of a random Pittsburgh, New Jersey regular season game that we just happen to find on YouTube. We're going to pick something that's a little bit more meaningful in the history of the franchise. Back in 1988, the New Jersey Devils made their first Stanley Cup playoff appearance um, with John McClain scoring the epic winning goal against Chicago in the last game of the season that they needed. Uh, They prevailed over the New York Islanders, and then they engaged in a really nasty seven-game series for the Patrick Division final against the Washington Capitals. And it just so happened that the Devils won Game 7 to go on to their first-ever conference final, which also was a seven-game series against Boston. Now, they fell in the Boston game. However, I did find the Game 7 against Washington, um, held, of course, in Washington, D.C., Featuring Sean Burke versus Pete Peters, Scott Stevens in another uniform, and Patrick Sundstrom's, everybody's favorite devil suite of the 80s. That wasn't <laughs> Tommy Abilene. Anyways, so that's the game that we're going to be watching. Um, Dan will uh, embed the video with the post. Uh, I encourage everybody to watch it. It's definitely a big throwback. You know, if you like your ad boards to be mostly blank, your broadcast to be nothing but the game, no score bugs or anything like that. And if you'd like to see some sports channel graphics, I think you're going to enjoy this game.
0: Yes. So we'll bring you the devil's first appearance in the the, um, conference finals,
1: like you said. Division finals.
0: Or no, sorry, like their their clincher for the first conference finals, right?
1: Yeah, in their first ever playoff run.
0: Yeah, which is which is a lot to talk about, and we'll be sure to provide the context there too. But expect to see a lot of the names we saw uh, in that game that we watched that took place in 1986 as well. I mean, this team is obviously a lot stronger given their results, but we it, it'll be nice to see some of those names again and see who was added to that roster to really push it from you know, a lower middling bottom team to almost making it to the Stanley Cup in their first playoff appearance. All right, so that's all we've got for this week. We'll be back next week to break down that game. And like John said, I'll be sure to embed the link with to the game itself in the post that has the podcast. So be on the lookout for that. And as always, thank you again for watching. We appreciate uh, the support in this time and we appreciate you guys watching along and telling us some of your experiences and that being said we'll see you back here next week for another episode of garden state of hockey as usual let's go devils
1: go devils